in the mornings we're going to be um, uh, considering. Um, I, I guess you could say it's something around kind of Christian ethics, but when I say it like that, and I wear a tweed um, coat, you think I'm some sort of professor, don't you? And you think it sounds very, very dull. Um, I, I thought, let's come in full prof- professorial mode this morning. So I, I have an extravagance of facial hair and I'm wearing tweed. Um, but it's not going to be dull. Because what we're calling it is, we're saying, is it okay for a Christian to dot, dot, dot? And so we're going to see, um, not just kind of uh, look in the Bible and find, as it were, kind of proof text for yes to this or no to that, but actually see what is the heart of God. Does anybody want to know the heart of God? That's a good thing to know, isn't it? What is the, the will of God in this world? What does God's kingdom look like? And are there particular kind of lenses and frameworks for us to understand how we can be close to God and bringing God close to others? Because I, I don't know whether you thought Christianity was, was complicated. You know, it's, it is challenging, but it's not complicated. It's just through Jesus, be close to your father and then look around, have a look, find someone else and help them to do that. That's it. That's Christianity. Is that pretty simple? Yes. Yeah, just, you know, through Jesus and the power of the Spirit, get close to God, and then look around and say, hey, do you want to come be close to God too? Um, that's it. All right, so really simple. We want to know how to do that. And in the evenings, um, we're going to be talking about the miraculous life and work of Jesus. I think that sounds really, really exciting because I'm really interested in, in how it was and why it was and, and for who it was that Jesus healed and did miracles and turned the world upside down, transformed people's um, scenarios. You know, the, the first time that we see Jesus opening up the scriptures, he opens up the scroll to the prophet Isaiah. He talks about the spirit of the sovereign God being upon him to do wonders to absolutely transform the world. And we're going to be asking evening by evening, Jesus, Lord, do it again. Has anybody got some faith to ask that? Lord Jesus, do it again. And you know, particularly on our furnace nights, first night of every month, we're going to be praying extensively for God to heal the sick and to set free people and to do wonders because we believe that God wants to establish his kingdom in the here and now. Can I get an amen? Amen. Oh yeah, come on. You're almost getting excited. Almost. Now, I said it's not going to be boring this morning, but this is for a little moment or two. This is the kind of the professor moment. And you can tell because I've got a flip chart. What you can't tell is quite how excited I am about having a flip chart. Um, I'm pretty thrilled, let me tell you. Um, Can I firstly say I didn't draw that because I can't draw? Um, but I can write. Uh, no, I can't actually write either. Um, so I'm, I'm going to scroll. Oh, I need to tilt it. Okay. Um, I tell you what, I'm going to take it up further so we can all see it. Let's do that. All right. That's the first time I've ever got applause from you just for moving a flip chart. If I knew, if I knew the bar was set so low, I would have done it sooner. But anyhow, this is what I want to explain to you, okay? Have you ever Googled is it okay for a Christian too? Have you ever Googled that? Confession's good for the soul. It's all right. Joe, you know, over the next few weeks, we're going to be answering questions like, is it okay for a Christian to gamble? Or is it okay for a Christian to smoke pot? Or is it okay for a Christian to watch Game of Thrones? Um, seriously, we're going, to, we're going to answer these kinds of questions. I mean, really, there's not much point in, in answering questions that aren't actually relevant to our lives, is there? Um, So we're going to be answering questions like, is it okay for a Christian to take part in a gay wedding? Or today, we're going to be in a moment or two talking about, is it okay for a Christian to vote for X? Um, Or or Y, you know, it's okay, X or Y, Um, or Z, you know, whichever floats your boat. Um, But before we get there, what we're going to do is we're going to talk a little bit about how do we frame, is it okay for a Christian to, to do these kinds of things? Because I want to suggest to you the revolutionary idea that there might be a better way to find truth than Google. Um, I know, it's shocking, isn't it? But it may be just maybe God has a heart for you to flourish in the world that he has made. Is that a possibility? And maybe, just maybe, God has provided all of the wisdom that we need if we're humble enough to allow the Spirit to teach us. Is that a possibility? I think it is. So, here we go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just unpack this for you a moment. So finding out 
whether something is okay begins with a book. Anyone want to hazard a guess what book we might use? Um, it's the Bible. Okay. I, I'm going to make this really, really, you know, try and get you involved to make this nice and simple. But in the Bible, okay, we don't just kind of like leaf through on the off chance that God might have something to say about marijuana, for instance. Spoiler alert, it's not in the Bible. Um, what we have to do is understand how the Bible is trying to speak to us in the here and now. So what we're going to do is, I'm, I'm looking, I've, I've got a little diagram here. That's why I'm looking at it, so I don't get it wrong. But here we go. When you open up the Bible, believing that it's the authoritative and God-given guide to following Jesus. Now, can I say, if you don't believe that, then honestly, it doesn't really matter what we find in the Bible. It's not going to bring about any change in our life. Because it's okay to know how to live, but unless we have the one who is life, then we're always going to stumble and fall, aren't we? We're going to find this really tricky. So what we're trying to do is, is, is love Jesus and follow him. So when we look in there, we'll find that the Bible gives one or more of three possible answers. Now, here are the, here are the answers, and I'm going to now ruin all of this beauty. So I'm sorry about that. Um, oh, it's a nice little kind of wedge-shaped one as well. Oh, lovely. Um, so when we look in the Bible, what we will find is either permission, and yes, that is as neat as my handwriting ever gets. That's, that's like me, really top drawer. So either, either you will find that the Bible gives you permission, or it gives you a prohibition, Or it will give you principles. Permission, prohibition, or principles. So if, if you open up the Bible on any given subject and you find that there's a blanket permission that's granted, well, truthfully, your investigation is kind of complete, isn't it? It's like, can I? Can't I? How should I? You open up the Bible and it tells you some truth and you're like, brilliant. Bob's your uncle. Let's go love Jesus. If you find that there's a direct prohibition, then no. So for instance, I don't know whether any of you have been wondering about this, but the Bible says, do not murder. Okay? Um, so a, a few of you are looking at me like, ah, yes, needed that word from the Lord today. Um, but there you go. So the Bible gives blanket prohibitions on certain occasions, then you are not okay to go ahead. But most of the time, particularly in regard to kind of puzzling issues in our culture and society today, there's neither a blanket permission nor a blanket prohibition. More often than not, there are uh, things that throw it into a different box. So we've got some of these, and sometimes it will say to us, you can either go yes or no, but oftentimes when we go to the Bible, actually we move into something else that we're going to explain which is the idea of our freedom in Christ. But then it's not, again, not a blanket freedom. It's not just a, oh, the Bible doesn't say anything about it. I'll wing it and make it up as I go along. But actually what we're going to look at is what are the principles of biblical godly living? How can we grow, according to the Bible, to look a bit more like Jesus tomorrow than I did today? So that's, can I just take a bit, a bit more off your shoulders? That's what God's calling you to. He's not saying that you, know, you need to be more than he's made you to be. Uh, but he is saying you need to look more like Jesus tomorrow than you did today. Okay? That's the general trend of your life. Okay? So just keep it really simple. Am I looking a bit more like Jesus all the time? Okay? So how do the principles enable us to get there? Well, and, and with the freedom of God... There comes other things. Because you were thinking, he's filled in all the boxes. I think he's finished the sermon. It's like the best sermon ever. It was really quick. I'm sorry. I'm going to disappoint you horribly. We've just barely got going. Um, but, but as we look at the freedom that God gives us, then we're going to also talk about, well, how about, how about some... Oh, that's going horribly wrong. How about some wisdom? How about some wisdom? You know, while you and I might have joint freedom in Christ on a particular issue, it might be foolish for me to exercise that freedom, but not for you. 
We all have different backgrounds and dispositions, histories and inclinations, strengths and weaknesses. And I suppose basic wisdom is what we might call common sense. It's not that common, actually, but there you go. It's kind of basic wisdom. But there's biblical wisdom that we can add to this. Just because we might be free to do something doesn't mean that it's wise. That makes sense, doesn't it? You know? Uh, what, what would be a good example? So say, say you're, you're, kind of, you're dating somebody called Jenny when you're 14, or maybe 16, and you'd be free to get a tattoo. Sorry, it's because I don't think 14-year-olds should probably get tattoos. But they, um, you, you could get, you'd be free to get a tattoo of Jenny on your forearm at age 16, but you might not be wise if you then end up marrying somebody called Anna when you're 25. Do you get the principle? Okay, there's freedom, but you, you, some of you are looking at me like, did Pastor Greg say it's okay to get a tattoo? Uh, we'll come back to that one another time, shall we? Um, <laughs> I'm looking at you, and I know what's going on in your heads. Um, Wisdom. (laughs) And then, when we process our freedom through wisdom, we come to this beautiful little image of all all these lovely, charming people over here. Because, generally speaking, what we're actually talking about in our Christian life, it has a couple of different dynamics to it. We live as Christians before a watching world. Some of you here today, I know, you live as Christians before a watching house, don't you? Or a watching family. Some of you, you go to work and there's that one person or that 21 people who are always saying to you, oh, is that what a Christian looks like, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You go to your class and they're just waiting for you to trip off. Um, and we live within a watching world. How, how do we represent that? Well, we call that witness. And we also want to recognize that we live before a watching world but we also recognize that we need Jesus. Does anybody want to recognize they need Jesus this morning? And, and this is the last way that I'm going to ruin this beautiful image. And that is we recognize our weakness. But it's okay. Because God's strength is made perfect in weakness. Does anybody want to say amen about that? So, there you have it. Permission, prohibition, principles, maybe a yes or no, but more likely, granting us freedom to live according to becoming like Jesus. We say, is there wisdom in this? And does it, and does it enable my witness in light of my weakness? Does that make some sense? That's just like a framework for us understanding how we talk about biblical ethics. If any of you are interested in this a little bit more, there's a wonderful book called A Mind for God by a guy called James White, and he's really, really helpful on this. Um, So you might well want to get that. Um, Really, really helpful. This is the gauntlet that we run questions of life through. And so our first question for today um, is, what does the Bible have to say about politics this is, this is the worst. Don't ever take me to the pub because I'm actually now talking about religion and politics. And you're not supposed to do that, are you? You know, I'm the kind of person you don't want at a family gathering. Um, they, they still have me back. It's nice. Um, but, you know, it's kind of, does the Bible have anything to say about is it okay to vote for? And we're going to kind of broaden that subject out a little bit. Now, you and I, we live within a democracy. Um, professor mode again. Keeping it simple, though. Sorry, Ian, ruining your pens. Um, We live within a democracy. A brief history of democracy, if I may. Democracy, the word, um, it comes from Greek roots. Two words, demos, the people, us, and kratos, power. Power to the people. Um, uh, this This is the sense of it. That it was a, a form of organizing society and enabling government that arose uh, within ancient Athens way back when. Now, um, you can read more about that for yourself. I'm not going to go on about it anymore. 
they actually had a form of direct democracy that meant that they pretty much had a referendum about everything. Does anybody in the UK want any more referendums? No. Uh, maybe we do. I don't know. Um, there's all sorts of... Re- uh, it's an interesting way to govern. That, uh, that certainly seems the case. Um, I've offended some of you already. Some of you are all like, I want a second referendum. Anyhow, um, it's an interesting way that they tried. We don't really have that kind of democracy, but we have a democracy. That's the way... Uh, that our society is organized. Now, globally speaking, there has been a trend over human history towards democracy of one form or another amongst much of a world. Major empires have fallen, communism has crumbled, world wars have rewritten the map, and more and more countries have moved to some form of democratic system. Uh, By one measure, 123 out of 192 countries are some form of democracy, and many of them are hard won. I was reading Wikipedia about this, and forgive me, all of my Filipino brothers and sisters, I didn't know anything about Cori Aquino. How did I not know anything about her? But I've learned about her. And, you know, it was a hard won road to a form of democracy. And, uh, And these kinds of struggles and battles that they're being outplayed in many countries even to this day. And things go backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards and over and over and over. But there you go. As Christians, we might perhaps want to compare democracy with theocracy, the idea that we can just be directly ruled by God, maybe with a priestly class. Honestly, I'm not offering myself here as prime minister. I'm really not. But you might think, well, doesn't it sound nice if if just God was in charge? Sounds lovely, doesn't it? until you end up with something like Islamic State. Because um, they thought that they were just setting God in charge, didn't they? Or you end up with something like the Crusades, where people have some sense of what God's kingdom looks like and then don't really care how many people get killed in the establishing of it. Tricky. And then humanity tries so many other things. Dictatorships, absolute monarchy totalitarian socialism, because socialism sounds great if everyone will share with everybody, but you have to have a big stick to make sure that everyone does it, because human nature is the real problem. And the best we've managed to fetter free-range capitalism with is democracy, I suppose, because left unchecked, many people won't let the God-given worth of their neighbor get in the way of their self-given worth in their bank balance. Now, No wonder, and you probably know this already, but Churchill, he famously said, many forms of government have been tried and will be tried in this world of sin and woe. No one pretends that democracy is perfect or all-wise. Indeed, it has been said that democracy is the worst form of government except for all the other forms of government that have been tried from time to time. We're in a bit of a state, aren't we? So how then do we as Christians deal with authority, our society, government in the UK today, or those of you who come from other countries, what does it look like? Because the biblical principles are the same. If you've got a Bible with you, Romans chapter 13 is going to be our guiding text for today, and we're going to begin at the beginning of that chapter, Romans chapter 13. Now, we've got chapter headings and verses written underneath them. They weren't there when Paul was inspired by the Spirit to write to the people. So actually, everything that he's writing here is about what does it look like to live as a Christian in society? Because he's actually begun, having said amen at the end of chapter 11, he's begun then chapter 12 with saying, live as a living sacrifice. Offer yourself to God. This is how you worship. And then he starts to unpack worship for us in loads of different ways. And chapter 13 is continuing that. So he says here, Paul says to us, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Anyone want to shut the Bible already? Uh, For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. It's not a typo. Honestly, I've checked other Bibles. It's in all of the ones I've got. Um, Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong... Be afraid, 
For he who does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. Honestly, I am reading the Bible. And I know you might think I'm reading somebody's manifesto here. This is the Bible. Um, For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Okay. Can we firstly just begin when we start to unpack the Bible? Let's go back again. 40 days of prayer. We've just been enjoying. Prayer is important. Can we all agree on this? And you know, actually, God didn't simply decide that we should pray for those in authority. I'm going to go there in a minute. God didn't simply decide in this moment to have some sort of idea about how we should react to authorities. This actually is something that is coming um, towards the end of your Bible. Lots that has gone before it would inform it. Because the Bible is telling us all through the Old Testament, in fact, what does it look like to live under authority? Especially when that authority is wholly bad and far from God. Or very mixed Or even when that authority seems a bit like what we think God would want in the world. So we've got examples in the Bible of how we can live under authority and remain faithful and fruitful. Consider, for example, uh, Joseph um, in the book of Genesis living in Egypt. Now, that's, that's not a godly environment. They didn't honor God. They didn't even know God. They certainly didn't accord their society to look like God. Yet he lived learning what it was to submit himself to God. And he had some extreme ups and downs in the process as he stuck to his guns. Yet he saw God working all things together for good. Or how about Daniel and his three friends prospering and working in exile even when lions or fire got thrown in the mix? Or how about Nehemiah or Esther serving actually in the courts of dictators, but serving with such distinction that they were granted favor to hugely bless the people of God? No wonder then that the Bible, when it starts to speak prophetically into the here and now, uh, we find, uh, we find this, 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 this word from God in, in, in the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 29 and verse 7. So people of God living anywhere, anywhere on earth, under any kind of authority, recognizing we're citizens of God's kingdom, Jeremiah hears this from God and says it to us, Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. There's lots of ways of seeing how we are the people of God. We're a family. We're a body. But we can actually see ourselves as a people living in exile. That our home is with God. And our ultimate citizenship is to be citizens of heaven. There's an encouragement for you. If you're in Jesus, that's where your citizenship lies. So we are living to some extent in the here and now, as it were, exiles in a foreign land. I was born and brought up on the Wirral. I've lived here most of my life, but I am a foreigner here because my true citizenship is of heaven. So I can actually look at this lens of living in exile and say to God, yes, I am to seek the good of here and now. And pray to God on behalf of the Wirral or the UK or wherever it may be. For in its welfare I will find my welfare. And so God is weaving together all of these examples and all of this prophetic word and all of his teaching. And here we've come into the book of Romans. And all of this is fed into Paul's understanding. And then inspired by the Holy Spirit, he frames the will of God as to how we might live in the authority structures and systems that we live in. You see, there is a tendency nowadays to utterly disregard the good that we have in our civil society, and there is much good. 
And there's a tendency to wish to dismiss those who are politically different to us as though they have no good in them at all. That is not true. And if we find ourselves indulging ourselves because of politics, then what we're actually doing is we're dismissing the fact that every single person, including your political enemies, has been made in the image of God. And if we fail to see that, then we're failing to see the very presence of God in our world. It's that severe. C.S. Lewis once upon a time said that, you know, when we gather together as a church, because, because sin has been cleansed from us, we can see the image of God so well in one another. And he says, you know, when you, when you come up to one another and you look on one another, you're seeing the holiest thing you're ever going to see, apart from maybe the bread and the wine, until Jesus comes again. That's true. With your natural eyes, when you look upon somebody made in the image of God, washed clean by Jesus Christ, you're seeing holiness revealed. And even though within our world, we might see many folks who are far from God, we are obliged as believers to see that they are made in the image of God. This is where all kinds of honor and respect that Paul is talking to and what we read begins. We have this tendency to dismiss others. And we will oftentimes point to bits of the Bible to try and and justify our behavior. But Christians, I want us to be certain that we realize that neither Change UK or the Brexit Party or Labour or the Tories are the Messiah. Can I say that without fear of contradiction? They may well be naughty boys, I don't know. But they're, they're not the Messiah. That job has been taken. It is taken and forever will be taken. And Christians, there is a tendency and a temptation to start to accord to these political movements or even political leaders, some of whom may well be admirable. We we accord to them some status that they cannot possibly bear. Why are we asked by the Bible to actually help them? Because they're weak, just like you and I are. There's a tendency also sometimes to look at a particular figure who may appear on the world stage and and start to say, oh, maybe they are anointed by God to do X or Y or or Z. Can I say, and I may well offend some of you here, I do not believe in any way, shape or form that we can say that either Jeremy Corbyn or Donald Trump is the Lord's anointed. Can I tell you why I think that? Because only one time in the entirety of the Bible was somebody who was not a devoted follower of God called the Lord's anointed One time, in thousands of years of human history and all the revelation of God, only one time was somebody who was far from God called anointed by God for a purpose, and that was Cyrus the Great in Persia. I think we we jump to these things far too quickly. I don't see the people of God ever looking for the anointing of God outside of the people of God. I don't see them looking for it. Why do we? Why do we? Politicians may be helpful within our world. They may do good. Sometimes they may do ill. They certainly need your support. That is what the Bible has been teaching us thus far. But they're not the Lord's anointed. Now, if God grants to us a particular word that he has redone that and that has happened again, then maybe so. But I say you've got to set the bar incredibly high because it happens once in your Bible. Once. That a particular individual is named and called that. People need your help because they're people. Okay? We don't elevate them too highly, nor do we demean them too lowly. They're people. They're made in the image of God. And Paul is saying to the Romans, subject yourself to them. Pay the taxes that you're supposed to. Abide by the laws in your society. Give honor and respect as is appropriate because that's how society works. That's how God has ordained that it should work. And we need to be very, very careful if we think that there is another way. The Bible extends this attitude from the actions that Paul has described to prayer. And Paul, on another occasion, he's writing to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 2. And he says says this, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayer, because prayer changes things. Anybody know that? prayer, intercessions and thanksgivings, we'll come back to that in a minute, be made for all people 
for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. Anybody want to say amen for a peaceful and quiet life? Yeah, I've got you all on that, haven't I? You're all over the place on the rest, but here we go. Um, Godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. There is a clear link between your heartfelt prayer and your thanksgiving for all those in high position and the good of the society in which you live. Now, we might say, well, I might offer a grudge in prayer. That's not what the Bible's talking about. Because the Bible says prayer and thanksgiving. Does everyone want to give thanks for every single political leader in the UK today? I don't. Because my heart is deceitful. (laughs) And I struggle to submit myself to the will and the word of God. But he said it. It's in black and white. Maybe I have to find things about individual characters that I want to give thanks for. I don't know. Maybe I, generally speaking, have to give thanks that we don't live in a system of anarchy. I know our society perhaps got a long way to go. There's too much injustice. Some get far too rich while others remain far too poor. And there are many things that need so much change within our society. I agree with you. And yet the Bible says, pray for them and give thanks for what is going on in your society. And I've looked in all of the footnotes And it doesn't say, except in 2019 in the UK. It doesn't say it. Or in Nigeria, or the Philippines, or Kenya, or Brazil, or wherever it might be. It doesn't say it. It's not there. I can't find footnotes that give me a free pass. There's an environment that Paul was writing this in, in the book of Romans, especially when he's writing to Timothy. He's writing in an environment, urging people to pray for authorities that are persecuting Christians. You know, the Bible, you know, just in case you think this was just Paul who's saying this, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 17, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, that is the people of faith, fear God, honor the emperor, the emperor, Peter, are you kidding me? He's going to kill you. I'm not messing. It's history. He's going to kill you, Peter. Paul, you're telling us we should pray for the emperor. He's going to kill you, Paul. Pray for him. That's what the Bible says. And can I make this really more explicit? We're talking about emperors who we know from history would take Christian believers who wouldn't recant their faith and throw them to the lions to be killed for sports. And what did the believers say? I'll pray for you. You know, we're talking about someone called Nero who, um, when he was blaming the Christians for the burning of Rome, decided to burn Christians and use them as human torches along the way. And Paul says, pray for them. Pray for them. Uh, I'm not going to go into any more detail. I know there are children present. Do we think we have a free pass from praying for authorities? Time after time after time, I hear Christians saying, oh, no, no time for them. Come on. This is the bar. This is the standard. This is the will of God as revealed in the word of God. Please show me where there is a get out of jail clause. Show me where it is in your Bible. Show me how it is that you get a free pass from praying for your political enemies. Show me. I don't find one. I don't find one. And the Bible offers this incredible promise that if we are willing to be people of humility and prayer and thanksgiving in these ways, then we will lead peaceful and quiet lives, godly and dignified in every way. This is the promise of God. He links your engagement with the world that you are living in with your own godliness. God is good. So you might say, well, all right, okay, okay. You've labored the point, Pastor Greg. You've gone on for a while about this. I'm feeling convicted. Or maybe just beating around the head a little bit. I don't know, one or the other. But is there no room then for protest or disagreement? Actually, yes. The reason why we've begun with what we've begun with is because this is the primary lens that the Bible gives us for how we ought to operate within a fallen world. 
and the societies that we live within. You know, when you open up the Bible, don't just look for the one thing that resonates with you and dismiss the rest. Can I ask you to do that? Make the main thing the main thing. And it's dead easy. The main thing is the plain thing. So let the plain thing be the main thing. And don't just like grab one little thing that makes you happy and say, I'm going to just skip off to the voting booth with this little thing and I'm going to beat up everyone else with my one little belief. No, no, no. Come on. This is the main lens of Scripture. But then we get this invitation to actually be part of God's kingdom coming in the world. Because can I remind you again, sometimes that's not going to happen at the ballot box. That's a revelation, isn't it? Sometimes the kingdom of God might not come there. It might, but it might not. So, if we were to go back just a, a weeny little bit in Romans, to Romans chapter 12 and verse 18, the Bible tells us, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now, I said that there weren't exclusions at all on, on our submission to authorities and our prayer. But here, in what Paul is saying, he's giving us actual kind of conditions to this. If possible, and as far as depends on you, you live peaceably with all. Now, that doesn't mean that you can put the hurdle of if possible right down on the floor and then kick it out of the way and say, oh, it's not possible. You wouldn't believe these people. Um, if possible, come on. God wants to make his strength perfect in your weakness. So if possible, if possible means, God, can you make this possible in my life? Not in my worst moments when I'm really, really grumpy, is it possible? Because that's like most of the time for me but it's like if possible your strength made perfect in me if possible and we must also understand the world in which these passages of scripture were written most of the new testament readers of these passages wouldn't have had the opportunity to vote though if they had they no doubt would have exercised it gladly so they exercised the only option they had which was to pray and you know, as you read the Bible and see what happened as they prayed, I don't know about you, but it seems that these voteless Christians who were oftentimes persecuted changed the world more through their prayer than we do through our whinging and our activism sometimes. <laughs> now, that's not to say that you can't achieve good things. But come on, Christians, where do you begin? They began with prayer because they had nothing else. And the world got turned upside down. I think we begin with everything else. And then when the world isn't changed, then we think, oh, should we be praying about this? Come on, let's get these things in balance. Uh, you know, we would do well again not to dismiss what we do have. I'm going to quote Churchill again. He said, at the bottom of all the tributes paid to democracy is the little man walking into the little booth with a little pencil, making a little cross on a little bit of paper. No amount of rhetoric or discussion can possibly diminish the overwhelming importance of that point you can make a contribution it's not the bible but it's churchill he's quite good isn't he uh, we'll let him have a word uh, you can make a difference how do we do this disputing the status quo can be an important part of your christian witness now one reason why we can do that with just two reasons really quick and then we're going to come in to pray but one significant reason why you can dispute the world that you live in and maybe even be different to the status quo is the, the biblical prophetic reason. It's the linking of our worship of God with the justice of God in the here and now. The Bible does this over and over and over again. And actually the prophets, you read them, all those, all those little books at the end of your Old Testament, one of the recurring themes is... I don't want you to give me sacrifices and praises and worship if the world that you are living in and tolerating in stinks. If people are hurting and broken and you just ignore it and then come and start singing to me, God says, would you please be quiet and go and attend to the hurting and the weary and the vulnerable. This is the heart of God in the world in which we live. And if we see things, and we've got to be blind not to, but if we see things that are broken in our world, then we need to be a part of the change. You know, it's not just about pulling out those who are drowning in the river, but it's about going a bit upstream and seeing who's pushing them in, isn't it? It's not just about clearing up the pollution downstream, but it's about going upstream and finding out why the sewer's overflowing. 
are example of these areas, perhaps, where the Christian voice does need to be heard. They abound. You know, maybe international development or overseas aid in the, the, the stability and structure of families and support for children. Maybe issues of domestic violence in regeneration of our neighborhoods and employment opportunities, in education and skills for all, in health care and social care, and the, the vulnerable in our society. And not just voices raised in these things, but active participation as well. And the civil rights movement in the United States gives us a clear example of where active participation can appropriately then give way to peaceful protest, even to civil disobedience. Because it was, it was a movement that was led by, yes, weak, but, but Christians nonetheless, in the biblical prophetic voice. Now, can I just give one big caveat to that? Oftentimes, we think we're being prophetic Christians. Come on, every time you think you're being prophetic, before you open your mouth, can you ask yourself, am I just whinging? Can we ask ourselves that? It's an all right question. It's okay. And sometimes you might not be. And then if you're not, then start to speak. And start to bring about change in the world. But being prophetic is not the same as criticizing or whinging. It's not the same thing. When there is something that needs to change in our society, you're entitled. In fact, you are mandated by the Bible to speak into these situations. And move beyond speech in thoughtful prayer to move into action. We're mandated by the word of God to be agents of change, to see the kingdom of God come. Now that's one reason why we might seek change in our world. There's another big reason why we might actually not be, you know, if, if possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all. One other big reason, and that is the gospel. Because above all, and in all, through all and for all, we are people of the good news of new life in Jesus Christ. Now, you've sat there silently for a while, but I'm going to say that again. And you get the opportunity to say amen. Because above all, and in all, and through all, and for all, we are the people of the good news of new life in Jesus Christ. Yeah? This is what we're about. And this is, can be a reason for challenging and even disobeying authorities. There's events that happen in Acts chapter 4. And there we've got Peter and John, these fiery evangelists who are so charged with this season that they've just spent with Jesus. This very season in the calendar that we have. And they're so full of Jesus and empowered by the Spirit that's been poured out upon them that they're sharing Jesus with everybody all the time. The authorities want to clamp down on this. But Peter and John in verse 19 of Acts chapter 4 answer these authorities and say whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God you must judge for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard I love this little bit of rebellion because it's so polite isn't it you know the gospel is an offense but Peter and John aren't offensive are they they're not, you know, spitting fire and smacking people and telling them how awful they are. They're saying, look, you know, maybe you know a thing or two. You go to God and ask him for yourself because, you know, we're willing to accept your authority. But here's the authority under which we live. We will speak of Jesus, of his death and his resurrection. If you must throw us in jail, you know, that's your responsibility. You know, we'll pay our taxes, no problem. But we're going to speak of Jesus. And this is, this is civil disobedience, but it's not crankiness. You know, Christians, there was a poll just done in our country, and non-believers, this is the first thing that they said that they thought a Christian should display, kindness. That world outside there that will never come into this place here unless you help them, the one thing that they're looking for from believers is kindness. Now, if you can't show them kindness, then can I let you into something here? They're not going to listen to anything else you have to say. Nothing. Because they're looking for kindness. I, they told you. It was in your newspapers. It was on the telly. They, they, they don't want to make it difficult for you, Christians. They want you to succeed here. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, you tell us about Jesus. But here's how you're going to do it. Just be kind to us and then we'll listen. Can you do it? Can you do it? Can you do it? Yes. Come on. If possible, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace 
Live at peace. But don't you dare deny the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I can be kind to somebody and tell them that they're lost and hopeless and Jesus is the only way of their salvation. Because that's the, that's the kindest thing of all. I can be kind to somebody and tell them that Jesus Christ came and died for them because they're desperately in need of him. It's the kindest thing of all. I can be kind to somebody and tell them that if they don't place their trust in Jesus Christ, then they're not just lost here, but they're lost forever. It's the kindest thing of all. I've got to find ways of being kind to say that. And, and please, I'll never stop saying it because it's my only hope. It's your only hope. It's the world's only hope. So we say it, no matter what, no matter what, no matter what. You know, we, we talked a lot. And uh, there's an old preacher's, um, it's an old preacher's statement. It, it says, preaching is a lot like drilling for oil. If after a while you've not found it, then stop boring. Um, you're like, Pastor Greg, we only just heard this. You know, we should be doing this for years. <laughs> Come on, why is this important? Why is this important? Why do we need to know the lenses of Scripture? You know, I've said from this pulpit on a few occasions, Brexit isn't important. And I know you've all looked at me like I'm totally insane because there's nothing else that you ever hear about, is it? Now, please understand me. People's jobs are important. And people living in the uncertainty of whether they're going to have a job in a few months or not, that's really important. And, you know, we need to be praying about these things and loving one another and finding out how can we help one another. People's citizenship and residency, that's important. People shouldn't live under the fear of you know, thinking, am I going to be hoofed out tomorrow? You know, having some clarity around that. No matter what you believe, it's important because people are important. The state of, of, of discussion on the streets is important. Nobody should go around in our society worried that maybe because of the color of their skin they're going to be treated poorly. Come on. I don't know why you're not saying amen. I don't, know, I don't know why you're not saying amen. Come on. Christians, if you're elevating political ideals above the value of your neighbor, then you are wrong. And that is the only way that Brexit is important because here's the truth. You can live like Jesus inside the European Union or outside the European Union. Is that a revelation to anybody? Because most of the believers on the face of this planet are outside the EU. Because, <laughs> you know, we've stopped making any in the EU. It doesn't matter. You can look like Jesus, in or out, or shake it all about. I don't care. And you can share the love of Jesus Christ with your neighbor, whether you're in or out of any kind of political thing. No matter who sits in 10 Downing Street, Jesus sits on the throne of glory. Hallelujah. Come on. This is the reason I want to engage with this society. There are no get-out clauses, except we submit ourselves to God above all and in all and through all. And God is simply asking of you, engage with the world in which you live, but can we first please pray? Pray. You probably know these words, but Ezekiel 22 verse 30 talks to the very heart of God in this. I sought for a man to stand in the gap. A man who should build up the wall and stand in the breach before me in the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Ah, oh, there are so many people in our society, Christians in our society, and we're so willing to stand up for our opinions, but we won't stand in the gap for our neighbors. Come on. Come on. Would you love one another? Would you love one another enough to tell them that you love Jesus? Can you love one another enough that you're willing to make sacrifices in the here and now that others may have a better life here and now and please God a better life for eternity? Can we live that way? Can we live that way? Hmm. Ron Anasu, would you come and lead us? I thought I was planning out this sermon series and I thought I'll pick an easy one to start with I don't know what I was thinking of I should have talked about pot or something else 
It's all right, we will do eventually. <laughs> Christians, pray. Pray earnestly. Pray on all occasions. Pray for those in authority. Pray for people who think differently to you or act differently to you or look differently to you. Pray, 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 pray. Would you stand with me? We're going to spend just a couple of moments as we draw into a close. Afterwards, spend time with one another. Love, love one another. Share with one another. Tonight, we're going to share communion, the adults. It's going to be beautiful. Come. And kids are going to have a whale of a time. Fantastic. Right now, come on. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus. Uh, maybe let's help, let's help one another. Can we close our eyes? If you're happy to do so, then do so. I just want to just briefly, as the music begins, I want to just share, here's a few prayer examples from the Bible. That, and if you want them, email us, we'll get them to you. A few prayer examples, how you can pray. Psalm 2. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. You can pray this. Proverbs eleven fourteen, Where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. You pray these things. Pray for the counsel of God. Proverbs 21. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Now pray these things for the people in authority in your day. Job chapter 12. God makes nations great and he destroys them. He enlarges nations and leads them away. He takes away understanding from the chiefs of the people of the earth and makes them wander in a trackless waste. They grope in darkness without light and he makes them stagger like a drunken man. Come on, pray into these circumstances. God hasn't left you in the dark, so why are we leading, leaving our politicians in the dark? He's not left you in the dark, so why do we lead our bosses in the dark? our teachers in the dark why do we leave them in the why are we praying for these people who have authority over us who are ruling in whatever way they are in our homes some, some of you young people maybe your parents aren't believers are you praying for them as the authority that God has put into place at that time you know, I know there may be some major things that need to change but are you praying for them you know, whatever kind of scenario and setting where God has established things as they are are you praying are you praying are you praying? Lord Jesus Christ, would you remind us that you call us to be first a people who are connected to you? That's most important. Lord Jesus Christ, we live in a world, we live in times that are so uh, distracted and difficult. Uh, sometimes we get distracted and we lose our connection with the head. Uh, that is to die. Jesus, we want to be connected to you. Remind us to be people of prayer. Remind us to be rooted and established in you, Lord Jesus Christ. And as we do so, we'll get your heart of justice. We'll get your will to, to see nobody perish, but everybody come to your salvation. Lord Jesus, we'll understand these things. And we'll be people who can work effectually for them. If my people called by my name will humble themselves, seek them and pray, seek my face turn from their wicked ways then I will hear from heaven forgive their sins and heal their land oh Jesus cause us to be people of prayer real people of change in our world for the glory of your great name and the sake of the lost if you've got a prayer in your heart this morning